Hey, good morning, everyone. You know, I was thinking as we were singing that song, am I satisfied in you? We're, we're finishing up our, our series on overcoming my idols. And, um, you know, it's interesting that when you're pursuing God and, and you want a relationship with him, how many know how easy it is for other things to kind of get in the, in the way of our relationship with God because of discontentment? We're not, we're not content with the things that we have. And, um, one of the things that the Lord desires in our life is that we come to that place where we find that contentment in him, that, that, that the things of this world no longer satisfy any longer like the Lord does. And when you're in his presence and, and you found that newness of life that Christ gives us, there's something special about that, that then when the things of, uh, that we enjoy in our life don't become the center of our life, they become the things that we enjoy because the Lord has given us those things to enjoy, amen? And they don't, be, they don't become the thing that becomes my identity. Now, I was thinking about that as, as, as I was preparing this message and thinking about dealing with this last topic of trying to remove idols from our lives that, can, that we can easily set up that, that replace God and replace his presence um, in, in our lives. And, and I was thinking about back when I was in about fifth or sixth grade, um, I can remember um, when you got into junior high school, image was a lot more important about what you wore. And I can remember I was the kid that wore the tough skins. How many of you guys remember Sears tough skins? You remember those? And they, they, they had the big patches on the knees and they could literally go through the millennial reign of Christ if you allow them to. Remember those? And, and remember that they weren't broken in. They, they, when you first got them, they were stiff and you'd walk like, you know, you walk like this because now everything's pre-washed. And I can remember I had those and I, and I, and I thought those were great. I mean, I had the tough skins and, and they came in different colors. You get them in red and you get them in blue. I mean, they, they were, you could, they were like gur animals where you could match the pants with the shirt. I remember gur animals. Okay, good. Everybody's old like me. So I can remember and I, and I thought, and, and I remember going to junior high school with my tough skins thinking that I was in until I met somebody that had Levi's. And there was somebody that came up to me and they looked at me and they said, are those tough skins? And I was like, yeah, they're tough skins. I'm like, really? You still wear those? You got to wear Levi's. And all of a sudden, I became discontented with tough skins and I had to have a pair of Levi's now. See, I never knew that I was discontented until I met someone who caused me to be discontented because I wasn't like them. And I wanted my identity, especially in junior high, I, did, I wanted to fit in. And so I can remember my parents said, it was torture. This was in the fall. My parents said, how many remember this when your parents would say this? Wait for Christmas. Remember that? Remember when you got all your clothes at Christmas or, or you got the first day of school, you got clothes. Well, that was too late. I already had my brand new tough skins. They're not going to go out and buy me another pair of Levi's. You had to wait till Christmas. So my parents say, if you're good, when Christmas comes, we'll get you a pair of, of Levi's. So it was torture for the next couple months. And then Christmas came. Christmas morning, I opened up all my presents. My parents did not get me a pair of Levi's. I think that's abusive. No, I'm teasing. They did give me a pair of Levi's. And I can remember I wore those Levi's every day for three months straight so that I could fit in. So they just basically disintegrated off me. Um, isn't it interesting that we, we really don't 
know that we're discontented until we look around us and, and we see the things that we can so easily set up in our heart to think that that's going to bring me satisfaction or that thing's going to help me with my identity. And, and th- that's really the crux of these, this series on, on idols that we've been looking at. A- anything, we've kind of defined idols, is, is not necessarily the golden calf that Israel worshipped at Mount Sinai. or things that, Those can be idols. Israel got caught in, in, in worshipping those things or, or, or the foreign gods around them, which they were steeped in idol worship. They, they worshipped objects made out of out of stone or wood that held no power. And, and we may lose track of that in our modern day and say, well, I don't do that. I don't bow down to a statue or, or, or things of that nature. But we've defined idols as this, anyone or anything that we give more power or attention than God can become an idol, which the end result of an idol is that they end up controlling us. It, it, we give them access into our life, thinking that they will give us security and happiness. And the lie we believe that idols can only be bad things. And I love what Pastor Tim Keller says here, author and pastor in New York City. He says, we think that idols are bad things, but, but that's almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. And he makes this next statement that I think is very true. He says, our hearts are idle factories. And so what we did was, is we looked at the three basic components that I believe make up idols. And we looked at, at, at power so far, Um, Mike delved into the topic of sex. And then we're going to look at, at something that I believe is, is a third thing that, that probably is a thing that we all battle with in our lives. This is a common thread, common denominator that I believe that we all battle with. I like what Ezekiel says here, prophet, hundreds, prophesied hundreds of years before Christ walked on the face of the earth. And, and God was upset with his leaders that were leading Israel. And I want you to see the word that God gave Ezekiel. It's in Ezekiel 14, three. If, if you know, write that down, look up at the screens, or you can turn it in your Bibles. But I, I want you to look at what God was upset with, with his with his leaders. And this is what he said to Ezekiel as he prophesied to Israel. He said, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their, where? Hearts. And, and I set, and, and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? And so the problem here. God has an issue with the elders of Israel. It, it, it wasn't the idol that was the statue that they were bowing down to, but it was something much deeper that they were bowing down to. And all these problems, as God said to Ezekiel, are a matter of the heart. Every idol we create first has to go through our hearts. Every single idol that we set up that's above God, that we think is going to give us power or esteem or identity has to go through our hearts. So I believe that these three issues that we've hit on in this topic, in this series, if I could boil down all your marriage issues, if I could uh, boil down all your problems that you have in your life, it's going to boil down to one of these. If I boil down all your personal struggles, uh, it's going to boil down to one of these in some type of form. So what we've looked at is we looked at the topic of power, sex, and we're going to look at the topic of money today. So it's not just those three things, but in the root of all those things, 
that, that we are led to, that, that, that we are drawn to, the root of all of it is our sick hearts. You see, God was saying that the human heart takes good things, which are good things like a successful career, which everybody would want, or love or material possessions that are not necessarily bad within themselves, or even family, or even our children. The problem is we take those good things and we turn them into ultimate things. Our hearts define them as the center of our lives because we think that they can give us significant security, safety, fulfillment if we obtain them like owning a pair of Levi jeans in sixth grade, right? And we think those things are going to help us. So whether you're a child, teenager, or adult, we think those things are going to give us significance. And so God knows this about us. And he says that this is the proclivity of our heart. And so what he does is as he sets his relationship with Israel at Mount Sinai, when he delivers them out of slavery, out of Egypt, God sets these commandments, these guardrails around, uh, uh, around Israel. And they're not meant to be these do's and don'ts to stifle their relationship, uh, to, to make it tedious. But God says, I want to establish this relationship with you. And if you follow these commands, if you obey these commands, you will be blessed because it's all about a relationship. It's all about a relationship with God. And it's about our relationship with one another. If those things are intact, guess what? Everything else is going to flow right in your lives. But if those things are out of kilter, that's where we get in the problems and the troubles that we see. And so the first commandment, God says, I am the Lord, your God, your God, personal God. Do not have any other gods before me. So this beckons the question, what does other gods mean? And so God explains it. Is it just necessarily Molech? or Baal, or these other gods that were in Canaan? Is that specifically what God is talking about? It can be, but it's even more than that. It can be an idol that we set up in our lives that goes beyond God, or gives power to that thing that takes God off his throne of our hearts. So God explains it in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. And this is what he says. Here's what he says about other gods. He explains specifically what that means. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down in them or serve them for I am the Lord, your God, and I am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So what God does here for Israel is he establishes his relationship with them. And he says an idol is anything or anything that is in the world. Now, if, if, if we are not careful, we can see idols as only material things. We make God out of things. However, an idol is anything that takes a controlling position in our heart. So here, here's the bottom line. God wants to do everything in our lives that leads to oneness with him. Anything that comes between our oneness with God and developing a closer relationship with God will pull away at that relationship and tarnish it and make it unpure. I, I was listening to a pastor the other day and he was talking about how we can, how in our marriages we become one and what things distract us from that marriage. And he said a, a thing that is very anti-cultural today that we hear today because 
if we're honest in our culture today, everything revolves around our kids. Everything, I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I agree with them. I agree with them. And this is what he said, not that we shouldn't care for our kids, not that we shouldn't love our kids, not that we shouldn't give them things and help them in their lives. But he says, we're running the risk of worshiping our kids and, and allowing them to take control of our marriage. He, and this is what he said. This is what the pastor said. And I thought this was good. Okay, so don't just, just, just listen. Okay, just hold on. Listen to me. He said, the best thing that you can give your kids is a good marriage. Come on, church. Come on. So here, here's what he's saying. He goes, what we've tried to do in our marriage is do everything that created oneness between us. Because here's what happens. When we begin to worship our kids and put them first, when those kids leave the home, all of a sudden that couple has no relationship because they invested everything in their children and it's interesting, the statistics of those that get divorced after their children leave the home, because now there's nothing that ties them. And so what the pastor said is we've put guardrails up around our marriage so that won't happen when our kids leave. And so he gave very practical things like making sure that we get away one time a year without the children. Can I hear an Amen. Praise God. We, 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 we try to go on a date night without the children. Can I get an amen? Listen, parents, can I just t- tell you something? It's okay to get away from your kids, okay? It, it, let me give you the freedom just to do that so you two can get alone and work on the oneness because I believe when you do that, what's going to happen is that's going to benefit your children because you're working on your marriage. That doesn't mean we don't do things for our kids or, or, or encourage our kids. They're all snowflakes. They're all wonderful. They're all unique. We all, right, right, right. We all, we all love, but you know what? Let, let me just say this. I'm off a tangent. Let me just go here. Okay. I'm going here. When we're in Panama and we're eating on the construction team, those of you who went with us, what happens is those that were serving us, they always served the adults first and the children waited. And here's what the children did. They all, none of them complained. They all sat there. We all ate. And once we all got our food, then the mother with, with the kids or whoever's serving said, okay, children, you may now eat. And here was the thing. Here was the thing. Here was the thing. Here was the thing. We, we made a mistake by giving them all lollipops before lunch, which was the mistake. Now, kids here, they'd be sucking that lollipop down to there's no... The kids held the lollipop in their hand until they ate first. They were trained so well. And I'm looking at this going, what did I do wrong? The next time we were eating at our house, it's like we're all running around. Are you guys all set? Are you okay? Do you want anything? Do you want a glass of milk? Do you want some water? Do you want... I'm like, get it yourself. Get up there. You know, you need to serve us. We're going to sit and you're going to get us the water. You're going to clean the. Di- you know, the, the thing, I'm teasing, okay? The thing is, we cater and pamper our kids so much that we've lost the realm here of what's important. And when I saw those kids, they knew what their role was, they knew where their place was. And they were happy and they were content and they were served and they got their food and everything was fine. But they showed that the adults were the authority. 
See, when, when, when we work on them, see, God's saying in this one, and I mean, I'm sorry I went off on that tangent, but listen, when God says, listen, I, I don't want there to anything to come in between that oneness between you and I. Don't take a good thing that I want to use for your enjoyment and then make it an ultimate thing in your life where that thing becomes a satisfaction and not me. And so he, here's, here's what I want you to understand. If, if my life is fixed on something or someone else, it's not codependency, it's idolatry. It's all it is. It's all it is. So my desire is to have a, a, a life that is, is changed by Christ, doing everything that, that leads to that oneness. So, so here's, here's what I want you to understand this morning. How many of you know you can stop doing one thing and then just exchange it for another bad thing? And, and what I see that is just sin exchange that really doesn't change the heart. It's just sin management. And so what we need to do in order to, to get this right in our lives, to get this under control, we need to get to the root of the problem and replace it with Christ because that's the only way you can shut down the idol factory. Jeremiah said, the prophet said, the, the heart is desperately sick and wicked who can trust it. So Tim Keller says, we never imagined that getting our heart's deepest desire might be the worst thing that can ever happen to us. Did you ever get something that you wanted and it didn't turn out what you, how you thought it was going to turn out? Okay, I didn't think I'd get an amen there, but that's okay. Okay, l- listen, be careful when you start to desire from your heart. Be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. And it may not be what you want. Don't trust your heart. Be careful there. So, so what I want to dive into today is the last one. We talked about power and pride and sex. The, the third one that I believe that we all battle with is the topic of money. Now, first, relax, because I'm not going to take a second offering. Okay, so everybody just chill. Hold on to your wallets and your pocketbooks. I'm not going to get in there. Okay, so just relax, Okay. But if, if, if we're totally honest with ourselves today, money is a problem. It, 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 we spend way too much time thinking about it. We fight over it. We think about how we can get more of it. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Bottom line, money, if, if we're honest, because Jesus talked about this quite often, money has that Power. And here's the reason why, especially living in the United States, the reason why money has that power is because we buy the lie that my self-worth is directly linked to my net worth. Let me say that again. My self-worth is directly linked to my net worth. That's the lie we buy. So how do we guard our hearts against the counterfeit God of money? Well, Jesus had a lot to say about this. The Gospels had a lot to say about this. We see the epistles that Paul wrote had a lot to say about this because he knew this was a struggle of the human heart. Write this passage down, Luke 12, 15. I want you to see what Jesus says here. Jesus says, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So what I want to do is, if we're going to dig into our hearts, one of the root of our heart is about money is greed, wanting more. Now, now here's the funny thing about greed. I've never heard, in all my years of pastoring, I've heard people confess a lot of things 
a lot of things. But I don't think I recall once someone coming to me and saying, Pastor, I got to repent of my greediness. I don't think I've ever, ever heard of that. And, 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 and Paul says it so well in Colossians 3, 5, when he says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Lurking within where? Within your heart. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is what? He's an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Okay, now, so why do I think every single one of us battle with greed at times? Some more than others, but I believe we all have this because money can do this to us. This is at the root of our heart. So, so if we're going to look at this, this is the reason why I believe this is true, especially living in the United States. The reason we can't get a grip on our greed is for the simple reason we live, listen closely, we live within our own socioeconomic bracket. Now, what do I mean by that? We don't, listen carefully, we don't compare ourselves with the rest of the world. We compare ourselves with people who live around us who are in our own bracket. So, so l- 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 listen closely. You, you, you go to Central America on a missions trip and you come back and you're like, oh my gosh, I am so blessed. I mean, go to a grocery store and you come to Wegmans and you're like, I'm overwhelmed. I, I forgot, how, I, I don't even know where anything is in Wegmans anymore, right? You've spent half the time trying to find where things are, right? And it, it's just overwhelming because we, we have so much at our fingertips here in the United States. But what we do is we don't compare ourselves with people in Central America. We compare ourselves with people in our own bracket. And what we do is we compare ourselves with those who have more than us. You see, the human heart is always looking for ways to justify itself. So this is what we do to justify our greed. And I'm sorry if I call it greed because that's what it is. So let's just call, call it what it is. And this is what greed says. I don't have as much as they do. I don't drive a new car. I have a lot less compared to them. The result of this thinking is confirmed by a recent Pew research that said this. Most Americans think of themselves as middle class and only 2% would call themselves upper class. But here's the problem. The rest of the world isn't fooled by our thinking. They can't believe the comfort Americans live with and call it a necessity. If you have running water and indoor plumbing, you're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. If you drove a car this morning, you're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. You see, the problem is this became so vivid to me when I read about a gentleman who came from Africa and went to Wegmans. He literally, when he walked into Wegmans, he walked into the one in Pittsburgh. He was so overwhelmed, he couldn't shop there. And the reason why is he said, there's too many choices. He said, when I shop in Africa, in my country, you have one choice and that's it. He couldn't handle all the choices. And, you know, I go into Wegmans and you, you go and there's 15 different type of mustards. And if they don't have Grey Poupon, somebody's going down, right? You're gonna, there's going to be a fight breaking out in the aisle, right? And, and, and just, it's overwhelmed by the, I was wanting to buy a bag of chips and I knew this message was coming. So I go, I'm just going to count the different types 
of chips that you could buy. I mean, I think I lost count at 85. No, I'm just teasing. It was amazing the choices that we have. So listen, we have to come to the point where we understand. Here's the thing. We've got to come to the under, understanding that greed can hide itself very well in our lives, especially living in the United States. And we have to be honest with ourselves and admit that it could be a problem in my life. And so what needs to happen? Well, there must be a conversion. And I want you to remember this, that idols can't be removed. They can only, they, they, they can't be removed. They can only be replaced if it's not done correctly. See, we can easily shift from one idol to another thing. So let, let me give you a point in case. We can say, oh, pastor, you're right. I'm just so greedy and I just need to do better. And I'm just going to start giving things away. And I'm going to really start doing great things. And all of a sudden we exchange the idol of greed to the idol of pride by saying, look how great I am and look what I give away. Amen? Come on. Or we can say, you know, I got to stop these habits. You know, I'm going to stop smoking. And then we overeat. Or we say, you know what? I got to get in shape. And, 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 and you know, I've got to, you know, really become more healthy, more healthy. And all of a sudden we lose weight, but we become obsessed with working out and looking good. We just exchanged, right? Boy, it's quiet in here. It's quiet in here because I'm touching on a nerve, right? Because we've just exchanged one idol for the next. Now, are those things bad to lose weight? No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Don't because then some of you are going to say, see, honey, buy the bag of chips. I'm just going crazy because pastor said, I'm just going to change one. You want to work out? I want to eat chips. So that's not what I'm saying. It's a good thing to want to be healthy. That, that's fine. That, that's good. But be careful because under our heart, under the surface, can be greed, can be I'm just doing it for myself. It's really not I'm replacing it with Christ and honoring him in my life. It becomes an idol that I begin to worship again. So we can easily shift one idol to another thing. And, and here's what I want to do as we just wrap this up. I, I, I want to show you the life of one man that we see in the New Testament whose heart was completely transformed from greed to salvation because of his relationship with Christ. And let me just be honest with you. God, listen, 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 listen. God desires to give us things in our lives for his enjoyment. He wants you to enjoy your car. He wants you to enjoy your home. He wants you to enjoy your hobbies. God, it's not necessarily, if God tells you to lay those things down because you know it's a struggle or a temptation, that's one thing. But God wants you to enjoy those things in your life. But where we have to be careful is where those things become our satisfaction, where those things become our identity, where underneath is, is the greed of wanting more and, 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 and looking at the neighbors and wanting this and that and the other to make myself feel better. That, 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 that's when you rob from the contentment that Christ says, listen, let me be your contentment. Let, let me be the one that, that gives you your contentment so that you can enjoy these things the right way that you can give me glory and praise and enjoy these things the right way. So how do we, how do, how do we find the balance there and guard against those things becoming idle and allowing greed to take over our heart? I love the story. Uh, we know it well, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, and let me read it to you because Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, he climbed up a sycamore tree for the Lord. He, Wanted to see, right? Those of you Sunday school groupies, you know what I'm talking about. You learn that song. 
But let me read this to you because this is a great passage. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. And there was a man named Zacchaeus and he was the chief tax collector in the region. And he became very rich and he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up Zacchaeus and called him and his name Zacchaeus. He said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today, which caused a huge stir because you didn't hang out with sinners. Jesus broke every norm of the day by inviting himself because he, he was saying, I want to have an intimate relationship with you, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus' house guest with excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He had gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So what happened here? Zacchaeus went from a very greedy man to a very giving man. Now what happened? Was this for his own self-glorification? No, it's because he came face to face with the man who satisfied his deepest desires and his hearts that money couldn't satisfy anymore. And, 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 and the sign of that was being willing to give it away. You see, Zacchaeus had a changed heart. He came face to face with Jesus. Zacchaeus was hated. He ripped people off. He was a traitor working for Rome, considered the enemy. He was greedy beyond greedy, but yet he gave back four times the amount. Now, I want you to understand something here. God's salvation didn't come because Zacchaeus changed his life. Zacchaeus' life changed in response to the salvation Jesus offered him as a free gift. It was the fruit of a changed heart. A changed heart by God's grace will not ask, how much should I give? A heart changed by God's grace will ask, how much can I give? You see, this brings up the whole question of, of tithing. And some people have a big problem with that, and some people have no problem with that. And we know that tithing is an Old Testament principle where God uh, commanded the Israelites to, to give the, the tenth of the, of the first of their increase unto the Lord. It was holy. It was to honor God. It was to show God, you're first in my life, that you're my supplier of everything. And the question I get about tithing, about giving to the Lord, about giving the first to the Lord, and when people first hear this teaching, they're a little, woo, that's, that, that's a lot, Pastor, what's going on here? But I get this question about tithing a lot. And, and this comes down to the matter of the heart. Should I tithe off my gross or my net? And what I tell people is, which part do you want God to bless? Amen? Kids getting real quiet. You see, that's the wrong question. Do you get me? The wrong question shouldn't be, how can I just give 
enough? Can I give 9.999%? And is that enough or should I give 10? And I'm calculating things on my phone. Okay, I got this. And is that, is that what I should be doing? Because I'm panicking. And if I get behind on my tithe, then I got another 2.5438% to give the Lord to make up for my tithe. Is that the question we should be asking ourselves? You see, yes, the, yes, the tithe is an Old Testament principle of giving 10% to the Lord. And the question is, is it mandated in the New Testament? No. And so many people say, phew, thank you, Jesus. But the question I want to say to you is this. To the question, are we giving 10% away in the New Testament? And would, the New Testament answer wouldn't, wouldn't be that we're clearly shown. We can find some scriptures that, that Jesus definitely put a seal of approval on it with those that he talked with, with those Pharisees. But and most would give a sigh of relief. But the follow-up question I would ask is this. Listen closely. Listen closely. Because this is going to deal with our greed and where we are with the Lord. Have I received more of God's revolution, uh, revelation, truth, grace, than the Old Testament believer or less? More. Are we more debtors to grace than they were or are we less? Did Jesus tithe his life and blood to save us or did he give it all? Just saying. Okay, just saying. You see, what I believe is tithing is the minimal standard for Christian believers. I look at his, Randy Elkhorn calls it training wheels. I I like that. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a a position of uh, of giving away less of our uh, income than those who had much less and much less of an understanding of what God did to save them. You see, the way I break the greediness is to place Christ in the center of my life. And when I understand the grace that saved me, just like the grace that saves the key is, the response is not what I have to do. The response is, what can I do? The response is not, what should I do? The response is, Lord, I want to do this for you. Because now it's not out of a sense of duty. Jesus didn't ask him. Did Jesus ask him to do that? No. It was out of that sense of grace. It was out of that sense of what Jesus did for him and how he accepted him. That the response came that that broke that greediness that says, now I'm going to give away the things that I have done wrong. And I want to break that in my heart. You see, the way... We break greediness is to place Christ in the center of life. I give out of God's grace in my life and I'm not, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing this because I understand the great lengths that Christ went for me. And if I'm not doing this, there's something wrong. Something's captivated my heart. Something's got an anchor. Something, something's holding me down. Something's got a chain attached to that part of my life that I'm not giving fully to the Lord. And so Paul expressed this well as he, as he just commended the Corinthians on their giving to be like the Macedonian churches. And he said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 9. He says, since you excel in so many ways, he was encouraging them in faith and your gifted speakers and your knowledge and your enthusiasm and your love for us. But here's the thing I want you to excel in. I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. Now, I'm not commending you to do this, but I'm, but I'm testing. I'm testing. I'm testing how genuine your love is 
by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches, such as the Macedonian church. Verse 9. You know that a generous, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What I believe is nothing breaks our greed or our attachment to money. Nothing breaks that more than grace giving. When I give out of God's grace, not out of compulsion, the Bible says, not out of calculation, but out of God's grace. And when you allow God's grace and what he's done to save you to allow you to give that way, it breaks the chains of greediness in your life. And what it does is it allows you to enjoy that much more the things that the Lord has given you. Amen? Because now you realize that the things that the Lord has given you are out of his abundant grace. And that I don't own it. I don't deserve it. I don't calculate it. I don't store it. I don't, they're not mine. They're the Lord's. And I say, God, these are the things that you give me now. I want to use them to glorify you. I want to enjoy them to glorify you and to glorify your name. That, Lord, you give and, Lord, you can take it from me at any time. I just want to use it for your purposes and your glory. And what that does is it breaks. And I believe there's this principle of giving God first of your life. I, I, I believe it's important that you give God the first of your week by coming to church, by saying, God, we're just going to honor you as a family, as a couple. We're going to honor you by coming to church because we want to recognize that you're our Lord and we want to worship with other believers and just express our gratitude and our love for you. I want to gift you the first of my increase by just recognizing that, Lord, you're it. That it listen, for some of you that never heard the title, start somewhere. And by just saying, God, here's a percentage that we're just going to give you now and we're going, next year we're going to give more, next year we're going to give more and we just want our hearts to be open. Listen, here, here's how proud I am as your pastor of this church. You know, last week we, we took a missionary offering. We took close to $5,000 in the offering for the missionary. Praise God for that. You, you, some of you gave beyond what you normally give in your tithes and your offering you, to, to give out of grace. To say, you know what, we want to bless this missions work in Montana on this Indian reservation. And you, 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 you did it well. That, that's, thank you. Praise God for that. But not for my glory, for Jesus' glory. Because out of that grace that he's given us, my response is, Lord, I want to give to you now. And when you do that, it breaks your hold of greed in your heart. And what it ends up doing is it creates oneness in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It literally frees you. The very thing that we think money will do by giving us security and comfort does just the opposite. It makes us insecure because we feel like we never had enough. And my dad always says this. I'm going to close with this. My dad always says this. I love this. He says, you know, sometimes we think we've got to work more and 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 more to get more and more and more and more. And my dad says, it's amazing when you give your life to the Lord and you trust him. It's amazing how he meets your needs in ways that you never thought he would meet them. That if I were to try to work, 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 work to, to, to you know, my skin to the bones, where it's amazing how God, when we trust him, how he breaks those things. So here's, I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. Because some of you here, you're like, Pastor, I want to honor the Lord. I want to give to him. But, but here, here's, here's my struggle. I have no idea where my money goes. I, 
It's like we never have enough and we're always looking. Here, here's just a simple, simple homework. It's not this, believe me, I'm not a rocket scientist. This isn't aerospace engineering stuff here. This is just simple thing. What I want you to do is make a ledger. And for the next two weeks, if you're single, if you're married, you and your spouse do this little exercise together. Just on a ledger, write down everything you buy. And then after those two weeks, come together with your list and go through it together. Now, what it's going to do is you're going to say, wow, I spent a lot of money on gum that I never realized I spent, right? Or whatever it is, right? Or Starbucks or whatever. And then, and then what it's going to do is it's not going to be like, I spent less than you did. See, you're the one. And then it creates a big fight. And then you end up in my office and it's a whole thing, right? I don't want that to happen, okay? I don't want you in my office. Here's the thing. Here's the reason for it. It's not just to see where your money goes or what you're spending. It helps you to be accountable and to recognize that God, ultimately, this is your money. It's not that God doesn't want us to spend our money. It's God's, It's just being accountable to the Lord by saying, am I being wise with what you've given me? And I want to be accountable to my spouse and our spending so that we're not only accountable to each other, but we're accountable to the Lord and what you have given us so that, God, there will be margins within our income that we can be free to give to you. Man, that was good preaching right there. That was good, right? We want those margins in our life where where the spending is, is not overcoming all the income that we're having so that we're not free to give. And so that's what the Lord wants, that there's margins so that there's that freedom to say, hey, we can do this. We can give. Whoopee. Yeah, we can do this now. And so it's getting that spending in control. It's being accountable to one another. And it's seeing where it's going. I've known some, some couples, they do this all the time. And they do it every month. Every month through the year. They, they, they write down the ledger and they get together once a month and they talk about it. Not to get in fights or who spent. That's not the purpose of the exercise. It's to be accountable. To get our spending in control so that there's greater margins that we can give to the Lord. And God will break the bondage of money and the hold that that idol has over our hearts when we give to God out of the grace and the abundance that he's given to us. If you want to be blessed, that's how you're blessed. Amen? That's how you're blessed. That's how you're blessed. And so just remind yourself that God... How am I giving out of your grace in my life? Give God the first. Any income that comes from me, God gets the first. I said, God, this is yours. And by giving God the first just reminds me that he's in control of everything and that he takes care of my needs. And I always give to him first because I thank him for giving me the best. And he never gave us less than we deserved. Jesus gave everything. And he expects nothing less from you and I. Amen? Amen. Lord, this wasn't an easy message. But Lord, I, I, it was a needed message. Lord, first I want to thank you for this church. And I know they give. I know they give to missionaries. I know some sacrificially give 
And I, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray that we would, as Paul said, as we excel in so many other good areas, that, that we would make sure in our hearts that we would cautiously and, and we would cautiously inspect our hearts that we're continually giving and that we're excelling in the area of grace giving. That, Lord, that would always be on our radar, that that wouldn't slip away, that greed wouldn't slip in, that that idol of greed wouldn't slip in and take away. And there may be some here that they started off good at giving and they've kind of slipped away from that. There may be some here that they're doing it and, and God bless them, continue. God encourages us to continue in that. There's some here who have not even started to give to the Lord, that, that this may be a step of faith, their next step to actually give you a percentage of their giving, that they're going to give to you right off the top, Lord, and they're going to honor you in that giving. Lord, whatever our next step is, Lord, may the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts so that we won't fall into the bondage of greed, that we won't allow that idol of money to be set in our hearts, that that thing would be smashed and broken so that the oneness of Christ can be in our hearts and our lives, that we can grow closer and closer to you in our relationship with you. Give us that desire and the boldness to do that as we honor you. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we just want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said...